0: Tennis is back. The first week is under our belt, but we're still no clearer as to whether the US Open will go ahead. Players continue to withdraw, and news keeps filtering out about players that are possibly going to withdraw, which we have no idea where this is all going. So, plenty more to dissect here on Breakpoint Podcast. It's a very, very big show today, two very special guests, but none more special than the man that I, Val Febo, am about to introduce, and his name is Joel Frucci. Joel, how are you?
1: Not too bad, Val. Gee, thanks for the, uh, well, special intro. Really appreciate that. But, um, yeah, not too bad. I think, what is it now? It's going into week three of, um, well... North Korea comes to Melbourne, but um, yeah, we're going okay, we're going okay, at least we've got some tennis back now to talk about, and um, well, the news never stops.
0: Yeah, I know, it's it just never does, it really never does, but yeah, plenty, plenty to get through today, and um, Jenny Drummond, the uh, broadcasting extraordinaire, joining us uh, from London, we chatted to her last night, and it was an awesome chat about her involvement with the Ultimate Tennis Showdown in the South of France, and... Uh, an interesting encounter with our favorite Benoit pair. So stay tuned for that. And also Mark a heading up the tennis menu, the coaching or the coach to the stars. And um, yeah, he, that was an awesome chat as well. We can't wait to bring you those two. And um, yeah, Mark is just, he, he just speaks so well and he's such a, a wonderful mind to have access to on this show. And, um, yeah, absolutely yeah. brilliant. So, looking forward to playing you all that one. But, Joel, first things first, the first week of tennis under our belts in Palermo. The ladies open there. Fiona Ferro winning that title and rising eight spots to number 44. And she defeated Annette Contabate 6-7-5. So, uh, she's now a trivia question, as you so, uh, so well put on uh, social media. Um, yeah, I, I wonder... <laughs> I wonder how many people in about five years' time are going to be able to get that one at a tennis trivia night, saying who was the first woman to win a title after tennis resumption? Fiona Farrow is going to be pretty far down the minds of a lot of people.
1: Yeah, I think so, especially after a couple of frothies. I think uh, <laughs> I don't, certainly don't think people will be uh, will be flocking straight to her. But um, now look, really good, uh, really good title for her, um, you know, not least. Um, that it's the first one back, outlasted Annette Contevate, who's – I think she's now in the top 20, which is great for her. Um, Camilla Georgi was playing some really good tennis, Petra Martic as well. Um, So some good competition there that she outlasted and um, a top 50 debut for uh, Fiona Ferro as well. So uh, really well done to her. And it was pretty bizarre actually Um, at the end of it all, Val, with the trophy presentation, um, lifting that trophy with the the surgical gloves and the surgical (laughs) mask as well. It was just – you know, I, I guess we expect it now, but it's still just so completely foreign when when uh, when you actually see it.
0: It's so bizarre, isn't it? Um, you know, having a surgical mask at a trophy—it just doesn't look right. It does not look right at all. But, um, she took the trophy on the plane, so she has got to take it home. So, um, it's just very, very, very weird. But you know, I think that's going to be the new norm that we're going to have to adhere to for at least the next six yeah, months. Definitely. I think, um, with, with overseas travel, um, being so prevalent for tennis players, but. Um, tournament in uh, Lexington this week and in Prague as well. Have you seen the top quarter of that draw in Lexington? I think 80% of it is Grand Slam winners. The names are absolutely <laughs> bonkers. On, I'll I'll get it up for you just to just to give everybody an idea of how jam-packed this is. So the first quarter, Serena Williams versus Bernardo Pera. So Serena should get through that. But then Venus Williams versus Miss, uh, Victoria Azarenka. Shelby I'm Rogers, Misaki Doi, and then Sloan Stevens. So 50% there are Grand Slam winners. That is staggering.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty impressive. I'm really looking forward to watching uh, watching Venus and uh, Victoria Azarenka. I think it's it's fair to say that both are now, uh, well, certainly Venus, but also probably Vika as well, uh, veterans of, of the WTA. I'm I'm really looking forward to that. I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Um. So really exciting day two. Day one, of course, was was played today. Uh, Jessica Pagula, on Djokovic, Jennifer Brady, Magdalena, uh, Marie, Puskova and Arena Sabalenka all got wins. Uh, today and a couple of upsets in there. It was some actually um, some worrying scenes regarding uh, Joanna Conta as well. Um, not sure if you've seen Belle, but um, in uh, in the warm up in the warm up of her match, actually um, was having trouble breathing, um, but ended up playing. Um, she lost though six four six four. But uh, yeah, it was uh, it was you know, worrying. Has um, she got the given, owner? the given the the current uh, circumstances, well, I'm sure they'll go and test her. And, I think um, she needs to be. We hope that's not the case.
0: I think she needs to be tested. If you're having trouble breathing, that's one of that's one of the symptoms. I think so.
1: I'll yeah, well, on. I've got no doubt they'll go and they test her. Yeah, well, yeah, I think they're all being
0: they're all being tested. What twice a week? So yeah, I, I think yeah. they're they're being safe. Um, safe in uh, in those terms as well. But she lost to, um to who was it here? To Marie Buskova, uh, 6-4, 4 this morning. So difficult loss for Conta. But I think if she's healthy, I think that's the main thing. So fingers crossed that she's okay. So, yeah, some big to- big tournaments. Jeanne Bouchard, the only one to win in Prague before play was suspended due to rain. But that's all the results so far. We've got some more pressing matters, some more withdrawals coming uh, throughout the past week with Alina Svitolina, Kiki Burtons, Anastasia Pavlachenkova, Sletlana Kuznetsova, Barbara Strzytsova, and doubles world number eight, Barbara Krajikova, uh, all pulling out of the women's draw of the US Open. On the men's side, Young Gun, uh, the Aussie, uh, Alexi Popper, has withdrawn, giving Andy Murray direct uh, direct entry into the draw. And Murray is way outside the top, the top 120, so for him to get... Um, direct acceptance into the draw is um, is quite baffling. And it brings me, again, we're going to ask this, asterisk next to this Grand Slam, yes or no?
1: Um, well, I think simply put, Val, the, the answer probably has to be yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, if we look at, and we're going to touch on it in a sec, but just, just to sort of allude, um, and we have spoken about it a lot on, on the podcast in the last couple of weeks, but just to sort of allude to some of the, the, the names that aren't going to be there. Uh, Federer, Nadal, of course, first time since 1999 that we are going to see a US Open without those two. Mm-hmm. Gael Monfie, Fabio Fognini, Stan Wawrinka. That's just a small snapshot. And then uh, on the women's side, Ash Barty, uh, Alina Spitalina, Kiki Burtons, um, potentially Simona Hullock. We've got her as a maybe, but we don't think she'll go. Uh, Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. Uh, Barbara Stritzeva, Sam Stozer, a former former champion, and the list just goes on and on. Um, yep. I mean, really, the only I think the only answer is is yes, unfortunately. Yep. But uh, you know, as we've as we've said a lot, you know, we can we can see why the USTA is so keen to to push ahead with the event, regardless of of what we think the um the the credibility of it will be. Um, but I mean, we don't even know for a fact yet whether it's actually going to go ahead. Um, you know, to my knowledge, and um, I think to yours as well, we actually haven't seen absolutely that it's going to get played. Um, you know, we've seen countless um, statements that uh, the authorities, the powers that be, uh, are committed to staging the event, but we haven't seen uh, for absolutely a hundred percent certain that it's going to actually be played.
0: Yep, and that's exactly right. And I think that's what's pissing everybody off. I think that um, the fact that the players don't even know yet whether it's 100% going ahead they keep saying that it is but no official announcement and they said that there would be and the players are waiting for it and it's it's getting really irritating and i think and the fact that Berrettini and Fritz are both committed to playing in Kidsball um Fritz is american so you think he'd be over there um That's what, what is what's baffling me Joel is that tennis could be and we said this before the show this morning that tennis could be a reason for the spread of for another spread of coronavirus. Italy is already preparing for a second wave in September. They're already preparing for it. And that's that's scary. But then the fact that F1 is another sport that's going on at the moment. No crowds at the races and they're travelling almost every week. But the thing is they're based this season solely out of Europe. Mm. Solely out of Europe. No different continents they're not playing on one side of the world to another. Yes, it's not that far from America to Europe, but it's far enough. The cases in America are much greater at the moment than what things are looking like in Europe. So, and why Yeah, exactly. So why why aren't we just solely basing ourselves in Europe for tennis? Surely that would be the more wise decision, Joel. And if we are going to play a Grand Slam, make it be the French Open. But Madrid's been cancelled. Madrid has been cancelled. That that's like well, I'm lost for words at the fact that we're still trying to get tournaments done and a tournament which we thought was going to be a no-brainer to go ahead in Madrid is now being cancelled. Rome I don't think will be too far away and the French Open still wants to go ahead with crowds Joel yeah
1: bizarre, bizarre. I, think, f- um, I think Nick McCarville's solution that he tweeted about in the last week was was the one that made a lot of sense and it is, it is pretty disappointing, Bill, but, um You know, it doesn't really seem like there's been a lot of discussion around this. Okay, yes, we've got these bubble setups uh, for the events that are being played, obviously, in, in the US, moving Cincinnati to, to New York, um, the USTA trying to create that bubble environment there. But um, what Nick was saying was that um, tennis needs to create that, uh, I guess, domestic bubble, if you like. And we could probably... Call Europe somewhat domestic um, yep. because it is such a compact continent. Um, not, not um, you know, not not technically, of course, it's all international. But um, you know, similar to that F one mold is is basically, I think, what what he was what he was talking about. Um, you just need to you need to limit that travel. Um, and what's most disappointing as well is um, you know nothing seems to have been learned uh, from <laughs> all the all the problems of the last couple of months. Mm. That we've seen with with Tennyson and and, um, and COVID nineteen, whether it was the Adria tour or uh, Atlanta or wherever it's been, um, you know, we've seen how 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 quickly it can spread and how it's just not discriminating um, at all. Um, yeah, it, it, it seems like a lot of people in the sport aren't willing to sort of swallow their pride and and adjust to the situation, and I think that's what most is what is most disappointing because. Um, you know, obviously you, you, you can't have the realities, you can't have a US open in I don't know, let's let's say um not a Portugal, for example. <laughs> um, but that's that's when you almost just need to bite the board and say, Well, you know, it's just too dangerous. It's simply too da- dangerous to go to the US and then to potentially bring the virus with you um, back over to Europe rather than you know, just start in Europe and, and finish in Europe. Yep. That's that's how it starts and that's how it ends.
0: Yep, and I think that's the most sensible decision. Obviously, they're not going to do that because players are already in uh, the US at the moment. But what is more baffling now, Joel, is that the top 20 players, Jose Magado reported this during the week, that, or Master, I think it was, I think Magado wrote it, there was a secret Zoom call between the top 20 ATP players, the ATP and the USTA, saying yep. that they want confirmation that they don't have to quarantine for two weeks when they get back to Europe after the US Open. Otherwise, they'll withdraw. Well, you know what? Withdraw. That's all I can say. If you don't want to adhere, and and it just shows the learnings from the age who are from all throughout this pandemic have gone down the toilet, Joel. Because they're not above a pandemic. Nobody is above a pandemic, and it's so, so frustrating to see people that are still trying to find loopholes to get out of quarantining and to try Mm. and find loopholes to get themselves out of doing this out of doing that and out of just adhering to social distancing parameters we need to get we need to curb this because it's taking over everybody's life lives globally so i
1: think it's it's also um i think it's also I think it speaks to the, you know, the way that the, the restart has been organised in terms of in terms of the calendar, and another reason why travel just isn't going to work because with such a quick turnaround between the events, um, you know, that quarantine isn't isn't possible if no. if, um, if we're going to take take the events, um, you know, seriously. Yep. Um, you've obviously got to allow the, the players um, or whoever's travelling that two weeks for fourteen days or whatever it is, and then and then some time. Um, to you know, to to get themselves in a good physical condition to actually play the event, um, and obviously with with all the you know the travel between the US and Europe, it's just it's just not not possible. And we've got this this just crammed schedule of events, um, and you know clearly that doesn't work. If we're going to respect um, what the world is doing to combat this thing, it just it just doesn't fall into line, um, and. You know, it's another thing that you look at and, and think, well, you know, you're, you're just really disappointed in, in the sport that that is the case, that, um, you know, we seem to think that we're unaffected by this thing.
0: Yep, no, and that's exactly right. And we saw with the age to it, no, and the top 20 players, Novak is included in that, and the guy's still not learning. Like, Joel, <laughs> yes. what is going on? And even seeing the footage of him and his wife wearing masks, either pulling it down below their chin or not having their nose nose, nose covered. Oh, my God. It is just – it's like we're talking to cave people. Cave people would have more sensibility because you just point. With the cave people, you would point to the mask, go, mm. and then point at your nose, mm. mask covering nose, <laughs> point, mm. and the cave men would <laughs> adhere to that. They don't know any better. Of course they would. We learned in the end. So it's just, it's, it's getting to a point where I'm like, I'm just getting fed up because I just like in Melbourne, things are just like, I don't know what the case are today, but they're slowly, slowly coming down, but through strict restrictions and the fact that we're allowing, Andrew, you know, athletes, athletes are not above, above people. They're not above the general population. You hit a ball around. That is your job. You know, it's, you know, we enjoy watching it, but come on guys. You're earning significant significantly more money than what a lot of other people are, and you're hitting a ball around. It's just just have a little bit of perspective. And they're not. And Alan Perez said it last week that they're that tennis player or if not last week, sorry, before that. But that tennis players are the most selfish people in the world and or most selfish athletes. And you know, not all of not all of them would be, but it's just the ones that are trying to say that are trying to get themselves out of quarantining, pull your head in. Just pull your head in, because it's getting to a point where people are struggling. So something's got to give, Joel. My rant is over.
1: <laughs> no, well said. Not much. Not much more to add to that. It's yeah. It's just it's it's disappointing. It's disappointing. I think when you when you package it all up, um, you know, with what we've already seen. From some of the players, yeah, you you, you really can't can't help but to, to shake yep. your
0: head. Yeah, I hope they do withdraw. I hope they do. I'm real. I'll be really irritated if they. And Jose Magata reported this morning that the players won't have to quarantine in Rome. Italy is preparing for a second wave, Joel.
1: And they should know as well. They had one of the worst first waves in the world. So if I'm the Italian, it, yeah, yeah. if I'm the Italian government, they if they do pull out. Yeah, if I'm the Italian
0: government, I'm putting up all all my hand gestures i'm doing everything i'm just i'm (laughs) i'm saying no you are quarantining the you know the what is it the clenched palm or the you know the the move from the head like that people can't say what i'm doing obviously so yeah great great
1: podcasting
0: yeah this is fantastic (laughs) fantastic it's going to get even better when we get to the marks of fullest interview trust me um (laughs) um you'll hear it guys um (laughs) <laughs> um, no, it's just, seriously, it's it's getting it's getting to a point where I think we're going to have to start laughing about it because it's going to make me so physically angry because it's, there's just no need. And, like, there's so many players that we've had on this show so far this year that we, w- we want the utmost success for. We really do. But we don't want their health to be compromised. And when players are trying to speak on behalf of other players, when they don't know what their feelings are, it's just, you know what? Calm down. If you have to quarantine, just quarantine. You're never gonna have to go through anything like this ever again. If you do, Yep. And that's and that's all we can say. We uh, the global population now knows: a, don't eat bats, and b, if you <coughs> if you social distance when you're told to, things can go away very quickly. So just listen to the rules. Wear a mask. Don't be an anti-vaxxer like Novak or like the protesters all around the world. Don't be an anti-masker and just listen because it's not a conspiracy. It's real. So pull your effing head in. That's all I can say to that. Should we get to Jenny Drummond, Joe?
1: Yeah, we need some positivity.
0: Yeah. And our first special guest on today's show is one of tennis's best international broadcasters. She's found everywhere. She does stuff for the Australian Open, all the Grand Slams, and we've recently been seeing her as part of the Ultimate Tennis Showdown showpiece in the south of France at the Moratog Tennis Academy, and also the co-host of the Off the Air podcast with Lauren Jenkins. Her name is Jenny Drummond. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us from, uh, from London. Great to have you on.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys.
0: No problems at all. And first things first, I guess, how um how have you gone with um, the COVID-19 pandemic? We've seen all different reactions from around the world, but how have you found it from where you've been?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's kind of been, it's changed somewhat. I started in London, was uh, where I live, uh, but then I went back to Scotland um, for lockdown to spend some time with my family. I travel so much with work normally. Um, so to be honest, it was great to have some time with them. Um, so I spent two months in Scotland and then in the beautiful countryside and then I got a phone call to say can you come out to France please for five weeks and that turned into eight weeks Um, so and then I've literally just got back a couple of days ago so my COVID-19 experience has um been a bit here there and everywhere bizarrely
0: (laughs) well it seems like you've had a much more enjoyable time (laughs) of it than a lot of people so count yourself very lucky but we'll get into the UTS and um yeah it was an unbelievable spectacle in the south of France no crowds but a lot of different quirks of the tournament, players, no code violations, sit-downs, the players could talk to the commentators, which I imagine would have been very fun for you, especially, we'll get to Benoit pair later, but um, that was one of the <laughs> highlights for us. But um, yeah, how did you how did you find it? And Matteo Berrettini winning UTS1 and then Alexander Zverev and Ale- uh, Anastasia Pavlichenkova winning the second ones. But how did you find it as a commentator and um, being there? It would have been bizarre, hand sanitizing, masks and... And then sort of just no crowds. It would have just had sort of a a weird feel to it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was from from a COVID-19 perspective, we got tested every single week. So did the players. So we had multiple swabs up our nose. It was not pleasant, let me tell you. (laughs) But coming from where I... Um, was in lockdown uh, where I was in quarantine in Scotland I was only surrounded by my family so I was really put at ease when I went out there and that was one of my biggest questions it was one of my biggest fears about going was what are the um how are you going to protect us what if we catch COVID all those sorts of things so they tested us every week it was masks all the time hand sanitizer so everyone at the academy was tested and um Also, the south of France, where we were, was a green zone, so there were so few cases, so that helped as well. And then on-site, it was social distancing, masks, all that sort of stuff. And the no-crowd thing actually didn't really bother me because it wasn't built like a stadium. So it wasn't like you had an empty stadium. It was one of the courts um, at the Moratoglu Academy that they built around. So they built some player boxes, they built some camera stands and obviously put up some branding and things like that. So it wasn't so crazy that there wasn't crowds there for the players a little bit, but they had their teams, so that was fine. And I think the fact that it wasn't an empty stadium made it a lot better and then the concept is a completely different beast as well it's I can honestly say it's one of the most fun things I've ever done because commentating on the tour normally you don't get but you don't get given a blank canvas and that's exactly what Patrick gave us and I mean we were told from the beginning that your role is so important we need you to We need you to kind of be the face of it. We need you to get stuff from the players. We need you to tell the viewer what this is all about. So we knew that we had a big responsibility um, and we just completely and utterly embraced it.
1: Yeah, and in the end, I think it was a really well, well-run event seeing as, as it was, uh, I guess, a ex- had that exhibition feel about it. But even, I guess, from a, a marketing perspective, Jenny, I thought something that was really impressive about it was like, just how, well, how well-run the digital media side of things were. Like It was so easy to access highlights on Twitter or, or Instagram or Facebook or whatever it was. And something that I really enjoyed was that access to the players that, that you spoke about. So like, how was that for you, getting that, that insight as play was going?
2: Yeah, that was one of the, the coolest aspects. So uh, first off, the digital team were amazing. They, the, I don't know if you guys saw them, the portraits. So every player had a nickname. And then they had to do like a piece to camera saying, if, say you're Felix Ojealia's team, I'm the Panther, and I'm going to win UTS because of whatever, or I'm the hammer. I'm Matteo Berrettini. I'm the hammer. I'm going to win because of. And some people said they were cringe. They weren't meant to be serious. They were given a script and they read it. And the social media guys are so fun. And it wasn't meant to be super serious at all. The whole point was that you see different aspects of these players' personalities. So the thing was, we were always going to come up against critics, always. Like traditional tennis fans would some die hard fans would find it difficult. But the the concept of being able to chat to the players at the sit-down was absolutely fantastic. I don't think any of us could have imagined it would have gone as well as it did. Um first of all, they trusted us because they were told by Patrick the commentators are gonna push you. They're going to we were we were told not just to be nice. If they were upset, we were told to find out why. And that was really cool that Patrick trusted us to do that. Um, And for me, the whole point was that we saw such raw emotion. That's what they wanted to showcase. Players are not robots. And we wanted to see what actually upsets them or what makes them happy or what makes them laugh. And we got to see that because we spoke to them as soon as a quarter had finished. Whereas normally, us as journalists, we speak to them even the post-match interview, they've had a second to shake hands, to to wipe down their face, to relax and figure out what they're going to say in their post-match interview. Whereas as soon as they sit down, they put on the headset and we're there in their faces in a way. So they don't have the chance to kind of go and think about what they're going to say like they would before a press conference, settle, go for a shower, do all of that. They literally put on the headset and we're talking about what just happened or they're going mad or they're angry the number of times he said they were pissed off or you know angry at themselves or their opponent or the umpire or they just smashed the racket so um to get that raw emotion from them and also to get the last that we got it was so fun it was hilarious
1: yeah and i mean clearly our sport jenny is obviously very traditional and uh has been for for quite a while And, and uts in a lot of in a lot of ways including the, the access thing very much went against against the grain of that um like do you ever do you ever maybe see that changing in in the future because I think in, in some respects um like I, I love the access and I wouldn't mind seeing that change I, for me it's pretty unlikely but I mean do you ever see that shifting
2: I mean I would like to I think what we were doing was a bit different because we were in such a bubble. It was the same commentators every week. It was the same players for certainly for the first five weeks um, We all sit and have lunch and dinner together so we we get to be in and around the teams we get to be in and around the players they 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 learn to trust us and we trust them as well and there you know there are always things you say and there are things you don't say and there are buttons you push and then you figure out when and how much you push them. The difficulty, I think, on the tour, I think it would be great to implement it, but the difficulty would be so many players at so many different times and different commentators. So you've got so many different personalities coming together. So whether or not it would have the same impact, I don't know. But I think certainly in small stages, it would be it would be great to implement. Because a lot of the players said that, certainly like Alexi Poppin or Quintan Muti, who are quite emotional players, they and get because they're young, they get upset at themselves. Whereas the the older players, at gas gaze just would get on with it. They said it actually helped them because it helped them forget the stupid mistakes that they were worrying about on the court, and um, because they were just chatting to us. So it was great to hear their feedback as well, and that was actually quite surprising that the players all loved it.
0: Yeah, it would be because you see a lot of players are quite shunning to the media after they have a loss or when they've you know had a difficult moment, and we've seen that a few times, especially on. On home soil here but um one of the funnier exchanges there was the stefano city pass singing but also benoit Pair <laughs> having a oh, joke with go. you guys <laughs> and turning the interview around and interviewing you so tell us about that and what we we love benoit on this show we have a segment named after him the benoit of the week and uh, what what's he actually like in in real life and uh, as a person and um what is, what is he what makes him tick because he's he's an enigma
2: He's mental. He's absolutely <laughs> mental. But he, he is genuinely such a nice guy.
0: Yeah.
2: He is. He is the same with every single person. It doesn't matter who you are. He's so friendly. He would come in in the most ridiculous outfits. He laughs a lot. He. Um, I mean, he's crazy, and I don't know how. And his coach Morgan Bourbon is such a nice guy as well. They got on super well, but I don't know how much the UTS format actually benefited Benoit's tennis because he is crazy when he doesn't have that platform so when you put that platform to him he just goes up a couple of notches especially when there's no code violations he can just oh he can just do what he likes but then yes that particular exchange was rather entertaining so he was absolutely exhausted um because let's be honest he wasn't in the in the best shape of all time and the format is quite physically demanding so he said to me just talk to me talk to me and I didn't really know what to say to him I was like okay I'll talk to you instead of uh, you talking to me so then he just asked me what I did last night and I said oh I was just having some rosé relaxing we're in the south of France and then he started asking me what I was doing tonight and I said I'm working because we're UTS we have five matches a day we don't finish till midnight he said yes but what are you doing after work I said well I'm going to bed (laughs) because we finished late and I've talked for about eight hours so that's kind of how it went and I just thought oh my goodness where's this going but um, you just don't know what to expect let me tell you because so many people ask me do you prepare your questions for the sit-downs and to be honest with you, you write down if something big happens in the quarter, but half the time I didn't, because they're human beings, and I just react to their, to what they say, and there's so much to think about, you're commentating, there's so much happening, then you go to a sit down, so you're just kind of reacting, and you, you never quite know what they're going to say, like one time Feli Lopez said to me, so I was ready to talk to him, I said, oh Feli, and he said, oh yeah, tell me something I don't know, I was like, um, mm-hmm. uh, uh,
0: I don't know <laughs> <laughs> that would be difficult dealing with their characters as well because some would be in a more jovial mood and they can put you on the spot but I guess it does help as a journalist that makes you sort of think quicker so that does help but in terms of form what um there were so many big players that actually played this oh, event yeah. there's a pair uh Vedasco Tsitsipas Goffan uh, Zverev Pavlichenkova um, Berrettini Gasquet Lopez Auger Aliasim the list goes on Dominic team. Which player impressed you the most out of all of those players and that really sort of gives you confidence for them going into the tour restarts?
2: Well, I think the player who was most on form was Richard Gasky. He was playing unbelievable tennis. He even said he was playing like a top 10 player and, um, he was funny because you kids he actually showcases personality he smacked the umpire's chair sometimes and he doesn't ever do that on the tour he was he got angry it was quite funny but also you can ask him a question you can say so are you struggling to put that headset on me shard and you say yeah i mean i thought i was hitting my forehand really well and my back <laughs> so <laughs> it was entertaining with him certainly but his tennis was was unbelievable he was so consistent he lost in the semi-finals of UTS1 to Matteo Berrettini had a point to win that match in Sunday um and then he was in the semi-finals of UTS2 but unfortunately he actually got injured in the warm-up um while he was hitting with his coach before so I really felt for him because he was playing such high level tennis consistently and then he hurt his knee so and obviously he had He's had a lot of injury issues, so I'm just not sure how he's going to go back or how he is right now. But he certainly was a player who was looking like he'd not been in lockdown, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, well, we certainly hope Rashad can go a bit longer because uh, I think I speak for, for Val as well, but we, uh, we're not going to get yeah. sick of that sumptuous backhand any oh, no. time. It's just, just so good to watch. But um, in terms of um, the tour actually, having restarted, Jenny, of course, I um, the uh, Palermo Ladies Open has been run and won, and uh, Fiona Farrow um, got yeah. up there, who win over uh, Annette Conteve, I think it was 6-2, 7-5, and um, really made herself, I guess, a future trivia response, probably in future. <laughs> She's the first player to win a title back since uh, the shutdown period. Did you, uh, did you uh, catch much of that event?
2: No, I didn't actually, because to be honest, I've just been in my kind of post-UTS bubble. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but at the same time, I'm delighted that it's back the tour is back up and running WTA and ATP soon enough and we're going to see who wins what but it's it's still very bizarre because you only have a select number of players playing so it's it's not it's not quite all there and obviously the US Open as well we've seen so many players say oh I'm not I'm not going to play. I'm not risking it. You know, huge players Rafa Nadal's not going and the ladies, Vitalina's not going, Pavlyuchenko's not going. They are, they are really big players deciding not to play. So whether or not there's going to be an asterisk next to the, this year's US Open, I'm not sure. And and obviously with well, Roland Garros at the moment is going ahead. We just don't know what COVID-19 is going to do, whether it's going to spike again, whether we're going to get a second wave. And, you know, it kind of looks that way. Um, I think it's so unsettling for everyone involved. It's really tough. And to have these kind of different exhibitions has been certainly helpful. Some of them haven't been helpful, as we know. Um, But I think the most interesting thing being at the Moritoglu Academy, certainly around the Sitsipas family, was that Steph really struggled with motivation. A lot of the players really struggled with motivation, and then as soon as they had some form of competition, their mindset changed. So I think as long as the players have a kind of a deadline or a restart date, it's so much easier for them. With with no restart date, that's when they get they find it really really difficult indeed.
0: Yeah, that's and that's what we've had um, a few of the Aussie players on the show as well, and Chris O'Connell was one big one who said that during COVID during the lockdown. He struggled with training and he struggled getting motivated. But now that there's a set date for when competition's coming back, he was able to to get himself um, back on track and ready to go. But um, speaking of travel, um, what's the the best and worst places that you've travelled to, to cover a tennis tournament? We always like asking our international guests this. Um, so what's the best and what's the worst?
2: Oh, okay. I have to say one of the best. Okay. I know. Um, I this for me. I love the Australian Open every year. Good it's answer. So Good answer. They're, yeah. It is. Well, it's like my second home. I used to live there. My friends are there, and well, a lot of my friends are there, and. You've just had Christmas. I'm escaping the UK winter, you know, and it's a happy slam because everyone's not seen each other for a month. So they're like, yeah, we like each other again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's yeah. great fun to go to that one. The one I found the worst was maybe Wuhan. Yep. I found that was a tough week. Yeah, we've, um, a we've had week. a few nominations for to China. And the, the food was tough. And yeah, maybe Wuhan
0: few nominations for China from the players and media now alike so um it's it's getting pretty dire for them especially after what's happened from there this year we um yeah we can't really blame you all but um tell us about the the off-air podcast and uh, you host that with Lauren Jenkins and where we can find that so um just tell us a little bit about it
2: yeah sure so during lockdown um I'm sure like you guys were freelancers and we wanted to keep broadcasting and we my I work with Lauren and rugby on the pro 14 the Guinness pro 14 which starts back so soon I can't wait um and we decided to start a podcast we'd spoken about it before and um Lauren's mainly she has just does rugby works on rugby so her, her knowledge is amazing on it and we just decided that we wanted to speak to athletes and broadcasters in the sporting world and just find out what their story was um hence the off-air podcast name so it wasn't just about what you actually do it's it's everything else in and around it and um we came up with the concept and her her boyfriend does has a graphics design company so he does all our graphics for Mm -hmm. us and, um, yeah, we've done four episodes so far. You can find it on iTunes or uh, Spotify. So go and have a, go and have a download. Um, we've had some great guests so far, and we've got more in the pipeline as well.
0: Yeah, we've listened to the Dustin Brown one. It was absolutely fantastic. And uh, we're, we're lucky as well, the guy that we both know from uni um has been doing our graphic design so jeff dickinson fox has been um absolutely amazing but uh jenny thank you so much for joining us on uh on breakpoint today it's been an absolute pleasure having you on you're one of the best broadcasters glo- globally for our sport and um we're looking forward to well hopefully having you in melbourne next year and um fingers crossed we can actually get the tournament going but um yeah good luck for the rest of the year and we'll speak very soon
2: oh thanks very much guys it's been great to be on and yeah stay safe in, in melbourne i know it's a bit tough out there right now
0: Jenny Drummond there, broadcasting extraordinaire, joining us on Breakpoint Podcast. It was awesome to have her on and her opinions on the Ultimate Tennis Showdown and some of the fun experiences that she had in the south of France. I'm dying to get there. It looks like a beautiful location. But Joel, from one extraordinaire to another, and this man is an extraordinaire to the very sense of the word. He's a coaching extraordinaire. The Tennis Menu has launched his uh, his brainchild, and it's a wonderful website that we look forward to watching flourish. And his name is Mark Sapolis, the coach to the stars. Mark, again, you're one of our only three-time guests on this show, so you must be doing something well and truly correct. How are you, mate? Oh, I'm
3: going well, but I'm seeing your podcast go to great. Great lengths around the world, and I'm just hoping it doesn't plummet with me on the show for the third time. So, let, let, <laughs> fingers fingers crossed we are, uh, we go okay today. But um now, thanks again for having me. Thanks for the lovely intro. It's always nice to to talk to you guys and uh, and spread the tennis word.
0: Uh, no, mate, this uh, this show I reckon will be our highest rating one yet uh, with you on board. So <laughs> now we um we're just riding your coattails. But um, now t- the tennis menu has launched. We've been talking about it a couple of times on uh, on our previous interviews, but. It's here. It, is, it has launched and um, tell us about the excitement and um, how it's all been going so far before we get stuck into the rest of the interview. Oh, the,
3: the tennis menu has been in the works for, for four years as <clears> a product, <throat> but it's been in the works for 20 years as a coach. So, you know, it's one of those things that I, I've loved putting together. It's just my ideas from so many years of coaching and obviously, you know, so many different people have influenced my coaching and my style and I've taken a lot of different ideas from different people so it's been great you know we've, we've had some really good uptake into into the program um, we're going to continually grow the product and, and make it as big as we possibly can but just the feedback we're getting is really nice I do thank those people who have, who have reached out to us and continually given us some nice feedback and you know hopefully they're enjoying the product and hopefully everyone's enjoying our social media as well
0: it is a wonderful product, and the social media stuff you guys have been doing. Nick, you're seeing behind the scenes is um he's doing a wonderful job with all the social graphics and um and the website stuff. So uh, you guys are an absolutely awful, uh, sorry, wonderful team. I don't know where. <laughs> oh no, my god! It's, all right.
3: it's it's okay, man. I get it. We're we're not. Oh the, my not god! The, the no, sorry,
0: <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Oh, oh no. Oh no. I, I was trying to say awesome and wonderful at the same time and the worst than the worst two actual fragments of those two words have come out. Oh no, I'm never gonna live that one now. Oh,
3: that's brilliant.
0: Oh do I get Benware of the Week for this now, Joel? Absolutely you got it. Oh. Hands down. Oh no, that is absolutely horrible. Um I'm sorry. All right, let's let's keep going. No, you guys are an awesome and wonderful team. There we go, got the words out. Um, but oh no, I'm never gonna live this one down. Um, so let's get to let's get to coaching. And because of because of the pandemic, it's been a weird and or horrible time for tennis players, I guess. And a lot of the motivation would be down from um, from everything that they would experience normally throughout this time of the year heading. From Wimbledon to the US, there's usually sort of a month through July where there's not too much going on, a couple of smaller tournaments, but as we get into August, there's a couple of Masters and Premier events as we head into the US Open. Um, It it would be very, very tough for a tennis player from what we've seen with motivation and everything, but your article on the Tennis Menu last week saying that how being a tennis player can actually mould us for a time like this and... Explain sort of your thought process behind that and, and what what you mean and, and the 10 lessons that you actually learn or life lessons that you actually learn from being a tennis player because I was fascinated by those.
3: Yeah, look, I think, you know, I wrote that article and I'm not the greatest writer. So, you know, I do apologise for those who, who speak the English language very well because my, my writing is very coach-driven orientated and not academic. But I think the, the message I was trying to get across to people was, the fact that in tennis we're so independent you know we live our lives on our own um we, we travel on our own we're on the court on our own we have to make decisions on our own uh we have to problem solve on our own and i feel like that you know as a tennis player we're equipped for this situation we're equipped to be alone we're equipped to be isolated um and we deal with this day in day out now we have to overcome so many hurdles as tennis players in our journey you know of financial crisis of you know um being, being stuck in a hotel room, um, not being able to see anything, not being able to see anyone, you know, being on a phone call to our loved ones. And that's generally how we live our lives as tennis players. And basically through this pandemic, we've had that situation. And And I, I wanted to write an article to those tennis players basically saying, guys, you've got your own back here. You're okay. You're going to survive this. You'll get through. Uh, because I think there's there's so much negativity going around, but I think, you know, being you know in the tennis bubble for so long I feel like we're equipped to be able to deal with it and you know there's so many lessons in life that we learn through tennis and it's important that we realize that and we realize how much we uh, we have learned along the journey probably implicitly um, and, and there's no no one teaching us this but we learn this through experience and you know everyone in tennis will be fine we'll get through at the other end and we'll be bigger and better and stronger for it. Mark, I just want to commend you for that article as well. I thought it was a really great read,
1: and um, I guess just sort of uh, looking at some of the some of the lessons that, that you've written about really resonated with myself as well. Even something like um, you know uh, trying to stay present, like that's something that I've really been trying to work on myself, just behind the scenes, um, you know, throughout this this whole shutdown period. And I guess it's pretty it's pretty clear that um, you know the best tennis players um, really have that ability to control. Present, even if we look at guys like you know, obviously Roger Federer stays present. Milos Raonic, um, even I look at a guy like him because he had that temperament in the past, but now he's actually quite a calm and composed guy, and that's something that really impresses me. So, are you able to sort of just talk to that point of uh, being present, sort of just remaining in the moment, and how beneficial it can be?
3: Oh, it's absolutely Joel, and you hit the nail on the head. I think we all um, need to stay present in everything that we do. You know, there's so many times where you, as an individual, will, will be able to resonate with you're doing one thing, but you're thinking about the next thing that you're doing, and then the thing that you're currently doing, you don't, you can't give 100% to because your mind's focused on that next job or the job that you did previous, which you may have screwed up. Now, the ability to stay present is is mindfulness, and it's interesting you bring that point up, but I didn't even know you were going to ask me this question because. Last night, I ran a session for for 10 of my junior athletes on mindfulness, on presence, and they're aging between 9 and 13 or 14 years of age. Now, if we can teach people to to be uh, mindful um, of the current and present situations more often, then in life, they'll be able to handle those tough situations as well. So... It's the ability to be able to... I mean, we're always going to have distractions in life and in tennis. So it might be losing the previous point or a big pressure point, you know, juice or a break point down, you know, grand slam final. But the ability to come back to your breathing and your process-orientated thinking is the critical component of the way we play. So, you know, you you mentioned Roger, you mentioned Mironic. You know, Novak's an, an amazing one, and Rafa, obviously... Serena, um, the ability to just come back before the point and just calm yourself down to be able to then get back into the process mindset is the most important part of playing at a critical moment.
0: And how do you teach them to do that? What, what's, the main, sort of what's the main ethics towards it or the, the sort of theory behind it?
3: Yeah, so basically what we do, like last night I did a little exercise where the players were um, doing a, an activity where they just had to focus on breathing. Um, and the focus of breath. Now, anytime that their mind shifted or went to a different direction, they had to bring their focus back to the breathing. So it was always about when you go out of your, out of your thought processes, come back into that breathing component to, to get you back into the present moment. So we did a little bit of that. And then I actually added some physical strain. So they then went through physical activity, got really stressed, tired, fatigued, and sore. So their mind would go into that, oh, I'm sore, I'm tired, oh, I can't do this anymore. But then they had to bring their mind back to the present moment of breathing. And that was what sort of helps it. But you can't do it once and expect to be good at it. It's about doing it consistently over a period of time to make it habit and not just a behavior.
0: And do you recommend something like meditation as something that can assist with this? So, it's say, if a player or someone just gets up in the morning, does 10 minutes of meditation, and it gets them not only focused on on a tennis court, but focus in life sort of on their breathing and sort of gets them relaxed and, and less stressed because meditation is one of the sort of key, uh, I think it's been massively promoted throughout this COVID pandemic that a lot of people are starting to adopt it and get a lot better at it.
3: Absolutely. Oh, meditation is a huge part of it. You know, it's about being one with yourself. It's about being calm and controlled in your breathing and your thought processes. And the other one that you can do is um, if you get yourself into a position, you go outside in the mornings, Go through your meditation and actually focus in on all the little sounds that you hear, and it actually brings your attention to that present sound, to that present moment, and actually trains your brain to stay in that moment and to appreciate all those little sounds—the sound of the birds, the sound of maybe a car driving past, um, the sound of some wind or you know some rain. It actually brings you to those moments, and I think that um, if you can practice it daily, you become more one with yourself. You do. You really you get in control of who you are and what thoughts that you can have, and you know, as a tennis player, we know if you're not in control of your own thoughts, you're not in control of your own actions. So that, to me, is a really critical part of being a really established player. Yeah, really
1: glad that you brought up uh, meditation, Val. I've actually been doing a lot of it, Mark, and admittedly, um, I think I've been doing it sort of two or three times a day. I've kind of got myself into this routine where um, I do it first thing in the morning, like before I turn on internet or anything, check messages, um, do a five-minute meditation. Um, then after lunch, I'll do another one, uh, maybe on a walk if I... If I forget that, and then before I go to bed, it's the last thing at night um, I'll do. And the thing that I've I've really found is that it takes a lot of practice. Um, mm. You know, it's obviously not just going to happen straight away. And I think before I started it, I, I held off on it for so long um, from actually trying it because I thought um, I've always been terrible at mindfulness. I just don't have the mindset for it. I keep getting distracted. It's not going to work for me. But that's not always the case. So have you have you sort of found that? Um, you know, in, I guess trying to embody this in um, any of the the kids or the players that you work with, it, it just does take that little bit of time, and you really need to encourage that bit of
3: patience. Oh, absolutely, Joel. There's no doubt. There's a, a certain amount of skepticism in everyone. Um, oh, that's crap. You know, what's that going to do for my tennis? You know, I just want to hit balls. Just put, you know, just get me on the court. I just got to run. I got to get fit. Yeah, that's all good and well. But the, the critical component, I find in coaching, is that every thought creates an action. Now, why coaches create the actions and not the thoughts is is beyond me. We've got to teach people to think better, to act better. Now that it's the only way to coach, you coach from the inside out. And once you get through somebody's brick wall in front of them, that they're putting up so they they feel they protect themselves of, oh, what's this mindfulness crap? Uh, once you get that brick wall down, it's, it's a great way to get people to, to be at one with themselves and, If you're comfortable within yourself, and you'll know this now, Joel, after a little while doing it, you actually make such better decisions. You actually make them in such a calm state and an unemotional state that you make the right decision nine and a half times out of ten. And that's that's life. We're consistently having to make decisions in life. But if you're trying to make them emotionally, we make the wrong decision nine times out of ten. If you make them unemotionally, you're probably making the right decision nine times out of ten.
0: Um, well, no, it's it's unbelievable, and I I think I've fallen into that trap where I've tried meditating and then because I get distracted as well, and much like Joel, and I sometimes yeah. I come back to it after a while, and then I'll I'll feel a lot better, and then I'll sort of stop doing it. But I think what I think actually doing it on a daily basis is something that I need to get better at as well. And it's it's such a it's such a good life lesson to to try and adhere to, and try to and try to adopt into your into your mantra and. Looking at looking at the, the 10 lessons, before we get on to the pandemic and, and more about the, the return of players, you mentioned – and also I think mindfulness will also help with this – be prepared for disappointment because you can prepare all that you want, but you know what? You might not actually win on the day, so you just have to accept that if you do everything right, you're going to do well more often than not, but it's not going to happen every time.
3: No, I'm exactly right. Like There's a stat – which I think is a great one, Rafael Nadal's winning ratio on clay is something like ridiculous, like 90% winning ratio on clay. But if you look at the breakdown of points, he actually only wins 56% of the points on clay. Now, if you think of that as a holistic view of tennis, every second point you're losing. He's the best in the world, winning nearly 100% of the time on a, on a certain surface, but only winning 50% of the points. Now, that to me is the, one of the most important parts about learning to be a tennis player is that You aren't going to lose. You're going to lose matches. You're going to lose points. You're going to lose games. You're going to lose sets. But it's how you deal with losing that is a critical part of being a tennis player. And no different to the pandemic. You know, we're losing right now. You know, I'm sitting in my house at the moment. I can't work. I can't go out. I can't go shopping. I can't do anything. And it's like, well, I'm losing right now. But how am I going to deal with that? And it's not what you dealt in life, it's the dealings that you have around it and how you deal with it. And that's the most important part about being a tennis player is the dealings of losing points, of losing games, of losing matches. Um, And the hardest thing about being alone inside a house right now is that you're just immersed in your own thoughts day in, day out. So the negativity creeps in all the time, but it's how you deal with that negativity. Uh, You're on a tennis court, the fact of the matter is that when you play a match, 75% of the time you play a match, you're not actually hitting a ball. 25% of the time the ball is in play. So what are you doing? You're immersed in your own thoughts. Now, if we're continually immersed in our own thoughts, but we can't think right, we can't think straight, we can't think unemotionally, how do we make the right decisions moving forward? And that's why mindfulness is such a critical component of being a tennis player, is that ability to stay present and then work our way through the situation that we're in. So that's, you know, obviously the situation why I wrote it in that article is I feel like it's it's so important for people to understand the facts of tennis, the facts of life, and deal with factual information, not opinion. Yeah, great words, Mark. And
1: uh, if the listeners out there that haven't uh, read that article, you can go check it out, uh, thetennismenu.com, all one word, uh, and also at thetennismenu on Twitter. We I reckon we're actually going to share that. Um, on our Twitter account later on, I reckon, just to make it easier for people. It's a great article and would recommend that everyone goes and checks it out, especially um, if people are are really in our position like we are in Melbourne at the moment, just a bit bit isolated and um, potentially needing uh, some motivation. But, of course, uh, a positive for all of us is that uh, the tour has restarted, at least the WTA for the time being, boys. Uh, The ATP in the next fortnight, we're looking forward to that. And, of course, we do hope that the US Open Goes ahead. I don't think uh, to my knowledge there's been any official confirmation yet that um, that is a real worry, I think, Mark, because obviously the players have got a lot to sort out in, in terms of uh, logistics and, and you have been um, in player camps in, in the past. Of course, you travelled with uh, the Bryan brothers and a lot of other players as well. I mean, just how, I guess, tough is it um, for the players and, and for everyone involved to actually arrange that travel because I can only imagine with what, three weeks until the US Open. If it goes ahead, it's going to be pretty challenging to get it all figured out.
3: Yeah, it's going to be a real challenge. It's the the fear of that unknown. Like, What's going to happen? Who knows? I mean, I don't think the organisers even know what's going to happen. Um, with 25% of uh, the COVID cases in the world, in America at the moment, I mean, will it go ahead? Won't it? I don't know. Um, I think... Look, I think there's some players that are getting really negative about the situation of being in a bubble and and having you know minimal teams and so forth. But at the end of the day, if they can stop whinging and complaining, it'd be a really good idea because they're actually able to do what they love and what they what they uh, earn their money from. And you know, there's a lot of us sitting here going, "I wish I could be in that situation," but you know, yeah, it's a really challenging one for for players because they actually don't know whether or not it will go ahead. So. You know, I've got players over in France at the moment training and, you know, she doesn't even know whether or not, you know, the tournaments are going ahead. So she says, oh, do I book? Do I not book? And, I'm, you know, it's a hard one. It's a, it's a challenge. But um, at the end of the day, the tour is back, as you did say. It's a real positive. I think we need to see it as a positive. Hopefully it does go ahead. But from a player perspective, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge because you don't know, you know, if you should book and who you should book for. You know, do I book for one coach? Do I book for two? Um, what's going to be the capacity that they're going to allow and um, it is it is the unknown and and unfortunately I don't have a definitive answer as to what what it's going to be but you know hopefully it does go back because you know um, people need to get back to some normality at some point but I just hope that they've got their their safety protocols in order because you don't want a whole heap of players coming out of that with COVID and, and having to isolate themselves so that'll be the real challenge.
0: Yeah, definitely will, and I think what the 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 talk about the entourage is is obviously something that that fascinates us because some players bring um, an entourage of ten or even more to some tournaments. And how do you reckon players will go with a smaller entourage? And how do they make the decision with who to take if they're accustomed to a certain lifestyle?
3: It is challenging, but at the same time, I think when you once you hit the court, you hit the court, right? So. You know, I think you know it, the entourage gets put aside, and, and you just you just play the game. And I think the best players are able to adapt. Um, if you're not if you're not able to adapt, you're not at the top of the game, and that's pretty plain and simple. So um, I feel like you know they'll they'll adapt and they'll find a way. And you know I think the the, the two people that generally the players will travel with will either be a, a strength and conditioning trainer um, and a coach, or be a, a physio and a coach. Um, you know you want your coach there with you because they're Person you probably trust the most, um, and then someone to look after your body in some way, shape, or form. I think that that would be the the ideal scenario for most players. I think the hardest part would be not having families there.
0: Yeah. And
3: that you know that's probably the biggest challenge with a lot of these players is not having the support of the family and obviously missing their families for so long. That would be the probably the biggest challenge for the older players that do have you know quite large families or you know kids or whatever to be able to miss them is is a challenge. That's an emotional attachment that you're losing. Yep. So. You know, apart from that, I think they'll handle it quite well. But um, you know, it is going to be an interesting, you know, res- resumption of the tour because who knows what's going to happen? Who knows who's going to go? Mm. Uh, you know, it, there's the, the cuts are going to be a lot lower than normal uh, because players don't want to go there and risk their health. So it, it will be an interesting couple of weeks ahead to see what does pan out. You know, especially at the U.S. Open.
0: Yeah, exactly. And well, you mentioned the cuts, like players in the one twenties are now getting direct accept- acceptance into the draw. So it's um it's all still uh, wait and see and we, we don't know if players are still going to withdraw. It's all you know, we, we still want to we wanna see tennis go ahead. I'm still not sure it should be going ahead in the US, but who knows. But Mark, thank you very much for joining us today. Barring my slip up before it's been a fantastic interview. <laughs> you you and Nick do a wonderful and awesome job. Um, I think we've um, I think we've coined the new definition of the word awful, so um, we've, we've combined wonderful and uh, and awesome. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much. You can follow The Tennis Menu on Twitter and Instagram at The Tennis Menu. Go like them on Facebook, please check them out, subscribe, watch all the videos. Mark and Nick have put so much work into this, they do such an unbelievable job. It is a it's it's tennis, um. It's it yeah. It's just tennis. So I was going to say something quite filthy there, but it, it's um it's, it's tennis yeah it's um yeah it's um no it's it's well it's tennis porn. It really is. And uh, you know what? Why not? I'm saying it. It is. It is. Mark, no worries, thank you, no thank you very much for joining us on the show. This has been, I think, the loosest interview. I think I need to go have a drink of water. Um, it,
3: it's an absolute pleasure, and uh, no, it's it's good that we're we're, we're Creating an awful website, which is fantastic for everyone in tennis. And uh, you know, if you if you don't like tennis, go to it. If you like tennis, go to it. I yeah. mean, you know, it's it's one of those things. But thanks again for having me, guys. And uh, three times, yeah. You know, hopefully, I don't let the uh, the ratings plummet for you. But um, keep doing a great job, and, and you guys are doing yeah an amazing job for tennis.
0: If they plummet, it's on me, Mark. So absolutely nothing on you. You've been absolutely fantastic as always, Mark. The fullest. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Mark is joining us there on breakpoint podcast that was probably my finest interview of my career um, oh my god that was that was awful in the in every sense of the word of awful um, wow oh wow that was oh, it was so bad but um, in, serious,
1: that, in seriousness though before we do get to get to Benoit and laugh some more would strongly encourage all of our listeners to go and read that article it's really, yep. really good, especially if you need a bit of a pick-me-up in your life. There's some really great tips in there.
0: Yep, so would I. And I think that article resonated not only with with me as a just a regular citizen or yourself, but I think not only with tennis players, but just everybody. Because yep. it's about life. It's not just about tennis. And that's where that's the beauty of what Mark is about. He incorporates tennis into life and translates it into ways that are easy to understand. And makes it more about your life journey rather than your tennis. And he says, you know what? If you're feeling positive about life and if you're feeling positive about this aspect of your life, it's going to transition into other aspects of your life, into your family life, into your friendship life, into your career. And there's so many different ways that you can take that. And I think the way that Mark coaches and Mark's beliefs are something that everybody should look up to. And he's just, he's wonderful. Wonderful in every in every sense of the word. And, yeah, just he does such a wonderful job with um, with the tennis menu and he's just brilliant.
1: Yep, well said. Well said. Benoit times?
0: Yeah, it is. It is. This is all yours, Joel.
1: All right. So, now, originally, Benoit number 18 was going to be, and we spoke a bit about it earlier, but it was going to be generally anti-maskers and just dickheads because we're all sick of them. Yeah. But it's changed in the last checks. watch, half an hour, how? It's you
0: Val. <laughs> Oh no. I was only joking I was only joking. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. I'm second in Benoir of the Year now. I'm behind Novak. Oh
1: no.
0: Oh, that'll be it for me. I'm retiring the show. <laughs> uh, I look. I think I deserve it because that was that was one of the worst. um, That was one of the worst brain flips I think you could ever have. I I don't know what I was doing. I really don't know what I was doing.
1: Like it was a pretty funny gaffe. It has to be said.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's going in the bloopers for the end of the year. Um. Yeah. Well, at least we've come up with a new definition of the word awful. Awesome and wonderful. Yeah. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. I think that's. uh, Yeah. I think. Yeah. You can call someone awful and actually mean it. But then they can go. What did you say to me? And then you'd be going, no, awful's the new word. It's awesome and wonderful in the same word. But then in your head, you're like, no, you really are awful, um, in the proper definition. So, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just here trying to make everybody's lives easier. Um, and you know, I, I, I don't think that worked. But you know, oh well, we'll see how we go. But yeah, um, there's not much more I can say to that. Really, is there? That was, um, that was absolutely, oh god, oh man, that was worse than you swearing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. that was way worse than when, yeah. And then when, yeah. I can't even remember what that was about. No, that was when we used to do the trivia segment back at the start of the show. Um, yeah, it yeah. was
1: Ivan Lubacic, I yeah. said, but it
0: wasn't. Yeah, and you dropped the F-bomb. But, yeah, no, that, Joel, yeah. it's been it's been an absolutely fantastic show. Very loose in um, in a lot of ways. So we should probably wrap it up now. But, um, no, it's been fantastic. And thank you again for your part in it, Joel, as usual. Uh, Joel Fritchie.
1: That's all right. Thanks, Val. It's been a good show.
0: Definitely has been. Remember, you can follow us at Breakpoint Pod on Twitter, Breakpoint Podcast on Instagram at Breakpoint One, Breakpoint Pod One on Facebook. Uh, sorry, and uh, you can like us there. Just search Breakpoint Podcast as well. Follow Oh, sorry, subscribe on Wooshka, subscribe on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. We both realised that we had. Uh, during the week. We didn't actually know that. So yeah, we're on there too. Um yeah. and yeah, have a have a wonderful week. Val Febo and Joel Frucci signing off. Have an awful week, everybody. <laughs>